All right, our chapter today to read was Revelation chapter 11. This chapter concludes the section of Revelation that began back in chapter 8. Each section, to remind you, spans the entire church age, beginning with the resurrection uh, and ascension of Christ and ending with his second coming and final judgment. With the close or near the close of each section, we find a scene describing, to some extent, the final judgment and eternal state. That's the case here in chapter 11. It's not that you, you know, that's why we said at the outset that um, Revelation is not read in a strictly chronological order. If, if it were, you would expect to offer all of the scenes of the final judgment to be at the end of the book. But no, we find them here right smack in the middle of the book in chapter 11, especially in the latter half of the chapter when the seventh trumpet is blown and the next scene is the blessed state of the redeemed in heaven and the judgment of all those outside of Christ. That's a, that's a pretty climactic scene to find in chapter 11 of a book with 22 chapters. So you can see this, this is a story that's going to be told over and over again seven times in the same book. In this podcast, uh, though, we're going to actually back up a little and begin our consideration today with Revelation chapter 10, verse 8. Remember yesterday's podcast. We were in Revelation 10 yesterday, but we only covered the first seven verses. I said we'll leave the discussion of the second half of the chapter uh, to combine it with what we find in chapter 11. So the the last verses of that chapter go along with uh, the theme of the, fir- the, the first half of chapter 11. So... We will consider that message before we think about the seventh trumpet being sounded at the end. So let's let's take a look at the chapter together. Uh, I guess the theme of this first half will be, you could describe it as in Jesus' words, that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. When we came to verses 6 and 7 of chapter 10, you may have expected the seventh trumpet to be sounded right then and there. It announced that there would be no more delay before the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel. However, it's not until the end of the next chapter that it actually takes place. So what do we do what do we find in the meantime? Well, it seems like Revelation 10:8 through 11:13. Revelation chapter 10 verse 8 through Revelation 11 chapter 13. It doesn't represent a delay before the trumpet. That would be a contradiction of Revelation 10:6. Rather, Revelation 10:8 through 11:13, they aren't describing things that chronologically follow the sixth trumpet. That would be a delay if it's chronological in nature, but rather it is just stepping back one more time to survey what's going on with the church during the entirety of the time leading up to the seventh trumpet. So what do we find? It really is re-emphasizing what we've already seen in early chapters of Revelation, uh, earlier sections of Revelation. Its basic message is that the church will have difficulty in the world until Christ returns. But when he returns, the church will conquer and reign with Christ over all his enemies. That's the basic message. Let's look a little closer at how we arrived at that conclusion. Revelation 10.9 may sound a bit odd to the reader in that John is given a little scroll, quote-unquote, and told to eat it. (laughs) And in your mouth it will be sweet as honey, but it will make your stomach bitter. That's Revelation 10.9. What is that talking about? Well, drawing on Old Testament passages like Ezekiel 2.9 through 3.3 and Psalm 119 uh, verse 103, the, the scroll seems to represent the word of God and even the message of the gospel that is sweet, to the one who loves it and believes it, but it often brings with it bitter persecutions and hardships in the world. 
That's why it's described as in your mouth it'll be sweet as honey, but it'll make your stomach bitter. It's, it's a sweet message to the one who loves it and believes, believes it, but it brings with it bitter persecutions. Remember that the Apostle John is sort of emblematic himself of the whole church awaiting the return of Christ. The very one who is recording this revelation was at that very moment exiled on the island of Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Revelation 1.9 This persecution and hardship of the church is given a little more description and definition when we come to chapter 11. When chapter 11 opens, John in his vision sees the temple in Jerusalem, even though uh, by the time he's writing the, the, this book of Revelation, the temple had already been destroyed in Roman uh, by the Romans in AD 70. The temple at this point seems to represent the church as a whole, which is throughout the New Testament referred to figuratively as God's temple. See 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17, 2 Corinthians 6, 16, Ephesians 2, 21. The church is the temple of the Lord Jesus Christ. If that's the case, if he's talking about the church, how are we to understand John being, as we're told uh, in verse 1, given a measuring rod like a staff and being told to measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there? Well, in Revelation and other places in Scripture, actions like measuring and numbering represent protection. You see that again in Revelation 21, uh, verses 15, 22 through 27. Uh, you see it in Ezekiel 40, verse 5, 42, verse 20, uh, Zechariah 2, 1 through 5. So it represents num uh, protection and, and, and uh, yeah, guarding over. So at the outset of this chapter, God wants to emphasize that throughout the time of persecution, he will protect and seal and take care of his church, even when it may not look like it. This is an important point to make because beginning in verse 4, the church, described by two symbols, namely two olive trees and two lampstands, it experiences prolonged and ever-intensifying persecution. In fact, we're told that Satan and his demons, that is, as verse 7 puts it, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit, um, that rise up to make war on believers, verse 7. In fact, they appear to be successful at first. The passage says that the evil forces not only make war on believers, but seem to conquer them and kill them, and their dead bodies will lie in the street, while evildoers will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents. Wow. That's Revelation 7 and 8 and 10. They will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents. They rejoice over what appears to be the decline, downfall, and defeat of the church. But that's not where the chapter ends. Jesus promised that not even the gates of hell would prevail against his church, Matthew 16, 18. And he meant it. After a brief time of struggle, we read uh, in Revelation eleven eleven that a breath of life entered them, and they stood up on their feet, and great fear fell on those who saw them. At that time, the Lord returns for the church, and John sees in verse 12 that they went up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies watched them. I don't believe that there is a secret rapture of the church. When Jesus returns and the church is raptured, the enemies will watch. <laughs> Every eye will see. 
Jesus conquers and the church is triumphant. And it is at this point that the seventh trumpet is sounded. In verse 15, we come to the seventh trumpet and the sounding of it. The sixth trumpet was sounded in the latter half of chapter 9. And we've seen, uh, and as we've seen in the 10th chapter and the first half of the 11th, concerned the state of the church during the time preceding this final trumpet blast. Um, you know, it, it's, it, it, the, the church struggles during this period, but ultimately is triumphant. And we've come to that point for the seventh trumpet to blast. So let's think very quickly about what we see here and what this seventh trumpet represents. The seventh trumpet clearly represents the end. <laughs> it is the final and eternal state of all things. While on the earth, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ may have appeared weak and feeble, now Jesus reigns and the hosts of heaven declare loudly in verse 15, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. The 24 elders representing all the redeemed of the Lord worship around the throne, and there are some noteworthy elements of their song. Notice that God is addressed as in verse 17 as the one who is and who was. Isn't that interesting? He, earlier in, the, in chapter 1, verse 8, he was... Uh, God was called uh, the one who who was, who is, and is to come. Now, uh, he's no longer called the one who is, who is to come. He's just the one who is and who was, because because he's now come. There's nothing. There's nothing. He's not the one that's to come again. He's already come. Now he's just he he is and he was. And in that in that day that he comes, two things will happen. Those who fear the Lord will be rewarded. And those who don't will be destroyed, verses 18 and 19. Jesus described it in Matthew 25, 21 and following. Isaiah describes it in Isaiah 45, verses 23 to 25. Let these things be an encouragement to you as you keep the things of this world in perspective. And notice the things that we've been describing, they would have been just as relevant in the first century as they are today. This is not just about future things. This is about uh, hope for the present time. And it's a uh, it's hope that keeps us able to persevere in faithfulness to the Lord Jesus Christ no matter what comes. And these are just a few thoughts from Revelation, the second half of Revelation 10 and Revelation 11.